Y'all ready for this? All right, here we go. Did somebody ask me if I was ready? I hope so. Let's see. Uh, last October, um, the staff met at, at Vibe in Hodgeville for a planning session to discuss preaching schedules, uh, possible sermon series, etc., things like that. And when we left that meeting, I felt with everything that was in me that God had placed it on my heart that I needed to preach. Uh, and for many of you that know me, that is, in fact, not me. Uh, it's not me. I'm not the kind of person that's going to ask to get up to speak in front of a crowd of adults, mainly because it is terrifying. Uh, you guys are terrifying, but, it, but in a good way. It's, a good, it's in a good way, but uh, for those of you that truly know me, you know that I'm pushing my limits today by being here in this capacity other than over there. So back to my story. I, I felt like I had a message. I had something to say, so I wrestled with it for a bit. What was it, right? I mean, surely the God that created me, he knows that I get tongue-tied when I am speaking between songs. He knows that I get tongue-tied trying to transition to different parts of a song or anything else in any other case that may, that may call me to use a speaking voice rather than just playing my, my trusty old Gibson that Zach played this morning. So I, I, it's absolutely terrifying and many times just like that moment there, I thought I was going to have a stroke. Pam, I'm glad you're here. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it can be debilitating. Do you all see what I'm talking about? How it can be debilitating. That wasn't even a joke. It's like, it's debilitating. But for some reason, I had something to say. So again, I wrestled with it for a bit and I began to tell the guys, I was telling Jonas and Jacob and, and Andrew at the time, the, the ones who I felt were the ones on staff that were qualified to preach, I began to tell them that I think I had a message that was put on my heart and I need to get it out. But I put it off. Uh, another nugget or a side note for you guys, I promise I'm not just full of side notes, but uh, I'm not the kind of person who will procrastinate or just put things off. In fact, my, my wife can attest to this in a lot of ways. I can be quite headstrong when I want something done. A lot of times I want it done right now. Uh, unless I am overwhelmed or unless it is the most important thing that I've ever done in my life. Uh, I can have a tendency to keep it at bay until it is absolutely go time. Uh, does anybody else like that? Yeah? So I'm, I'm glad that I'm not alone in that. So now that you know a little bit about me, we can, we can move forward a little bit. So we fast forward. The, the pastor search team is, is doing great work. Thank you guys for, what, for all of your work all throughout last year. And Pastor Scott comes back, and we begin to start looking ahead. And I shared with him that I think I had a sermon. I think I have something to preach on worship. And apparently, my time was up. I couldn't put it off anymore. Uh, I wasn't able to, to push it anymore. So Scott and I and the guys, the, the staff, we, we started planning for a time that I could get this message off of my chest. And due to my outstanding ability to communicate with my bride, Nicole, it just happened to be immediately after our planned vacation and, uh, and youth camp. So, so there's that. I spent the last couple of weeks trying to balance life and prepare sermon. But, but here's the reality. I believe with everything that is in me that God has a word for us today. Amen. 
I believe not because I am anything special, not because of me, but rather because I felt this desire. I felt a call to speak about worship to the church and the many roadblocks that hindered my path of getting here today. So that's actually a good thing, right? I've prayed this week, just like many weeks before, and you've heard Jacob mention it, you've heard, uh, heard me mention it many times, but I've prayed this week that we collectively, that we are open and that we are receptive to what it is that God wants to say today. So here we go. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you are aware that we have started a sermon series called This Verse Changed My Life. How many of you have been here for those first couple of weeks? Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Scott talked about the context of Philippians 4.13, and, and we could surmise from that, noted how we often can use Paul's encouragement out of its design context to benefit our current situations. And last week, Pastor Jonas shared with us that, that he was even like a kid in a candy store trying to pick just one piece of candy when it came to noting a single verse that has changed his life as he had been shaped so heavily by several verses combined in his personal life and in his ministry. And we heard a great quote from Tim Keller even that Christians need to hear the gospel every day because the gospel is what sustains us. The gospel is what keeps us from sin. The gospel keeps us from despair and the gospel also destroys our pride. I'm thankful for these messages over the last couple of weeks because they allow for a smooth transition right into where we are going today. If you can think back to one specific part of last week, Pastor Jonas points out to us that our identity is found where? It is. It's found in Christ. I was hoping that would be a little louder, but, but uh, our identity, at the very least, we should find our identity in Christ. And he moves on to tell us that we worship Jesus for what he has done. Amen? Aren't you thankful today for Jesus? All right, so we're going to jump in now where, where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to John chapter 4. And if you would, when you get there, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? You could do things a little different today. I'm going to read a big chunk, and then, and then we'll break this down a little bit. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 24, it says this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town called, of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Then Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. 
Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Then Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, and here's where we'll we'll spend a little time today, uh, verses 21 through 24. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father God, God, I come to you today knowing that there is nothing good in me other than you. God, I pray today that your word pierces hearts. God, that we are open to your moving in our lives and Holy Spirit. I pray that your words are conveyed, not mine. Father, allow me to speak clearly and boldly for you. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So about two weeks ago, my family and I had the opportunity to take a trip to the most magical place on earth. You notice this, magical place on earth, right? My wife had done months of studying and she was utilizing uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms like Elon Musk to make sure that this trip was jam-packed with all the things, with all the experiences, because this is not a normal trip. This was Disney World. Where where are my Disney World folks at? Anybody? Just me? Okay, cool. So uh, a vacation to me is a beach uh, with sunglasses and an ocean breeze, and Disney is 100% the opposite, Uh, hence that's why I will always refer to it as a trip. So we we are riding rides, the kids are riding rides, everybody is for sure having a magical time, right? And we get to our second or our third night there, and we make our way to a, to a show. It's called Fantasmic. Now, if you've never heard of the show Fantasmic, it is a nighttime live show. It's basically a journey through Mickey Mouse's imagination that culminates in a battle against Disney villains. Another way to say it is this: we get a glimpse into Disney or into Mickey's dreams that are trying to be hijacked by Ursula. Come on, yeah. And Jafar from Aladdin, and you get the picture, right? Evil is trying to steal Mickey's dream. But, there's a but. 
when Mickey realizes that it's his dream, when that mouse steps onto the scene, Mike and Carrie Skaggs, y'all want to tell me what happens? There it is. Yeah, there it is. When Mickey steps onto the scene, the crowd goes wild. I mean, they erupt with joy. Good is about to win. Evil is done and the people are going wild for a man dressed in a rubber costume. (laughs) And as I'm looking out over that sea of people, I realized something. I was one of those people. 38-year-old, big-bearded man. I was one of those people. (laughs) But in all seriousness, the phantasmic arena that that you sit in to watch the show, it holds right under 10,000 people. It's huge. And, And when I seriously looked over the crowd and I saw everybody going crazy for this show, for this mouse, it really did hit me that we are a people that are created to worship. We're people created to worship. Now, here's the thing. Who we worship or what we worship strictly is based on what we choose to make our priority. I didn't hear enough amens on that one. Who or what we worship is strictly based on what we choose to make the priority. Right? I love the New Living Translation of Romans 11.36. It'll be on the screen. Uh, You don't have to turn there. This is a nugget for you. It says, For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Amen. What a powerful testament to the glory of our God to see, to read, and to understand that everything comes from Him Everything exists because of him, and everything is intended to bring him glory. Let me say this again. We are a people who are created to to worship. One woman discovers this, and it changes her life and the lives of others in her community. And many of us are familiar with the story that we read in John 4, the story of the woman at the well. So Jesus meets this woman and chats with her and They talk a little about the the theological differences between the Jews and the Samaritans on where to worship. They talk about the living water and how she's had five husbands, but there's so much more to the story. In John chapter four, the characteristics of God are on full display. We get to see more of who he is and what he's like and even what our response to his attributes should be. I want to set the stage with a little bit of historical and cultural context. The Jewish people hearing this story would have have heard and seen much more than we do in the Western world, where you and I are taught to read and ask, what does the scripture teach me or what kind of applicable lessons are in this scripture for my life? The Jewish people and people in the East will read biblical text and ask better questions. They say, what does this teach me about God, who he is? And what he is like. So both questions are great. In fact, I would encourage you to ask both questions when studying the Bible. But again, the Jewish people hearing this story, they would have been wondering, what does this teach me about God? 
And their ears would have perked up when they heard that he had to go through Samaria. Because nothing good happened on those roads, it's dangerous and even deadly at times. But when Jesus steps onto the scene, there's been about 700 years of hate growing between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Not long after King Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel divided Israel to the north, Judah to the south, where Jerusalem and the temple was located. Eventually, the northern kingdom of Israel would be taken over by the Assyrians. And God had mandated that his people not to intermarry with the pagan people around them. But many of the Israelis did just that. And when you mix the Jewish people with the Assyrians, you get the Samaritans. They were half Jews. And while they worshiped God and adhered to Jewish customs, there were differences Differences that made it dangerous for them to try uh, to go to Jerusalem to worship. The hate between the groups grew so bad. The Samaritans ended up building another place to worship. And at one point in history, they even desecrated each other's temples. Not only were the Samaritans despised by the Jewish people and vice versa, the fact that Jesus is talking to a woman also gives that listener another pause. A woman, a Samaritan woman, and she's alone at a well at noon. This tells us that she is an outcast. The Middle East is a, is a very communal culture, and they don't do things alone. So we know that there's something up with this woman. And there's also the problem of her gender. At this time in history, women were considered property and were subordinate to men in every way. By law, they weren't even allowed to testify in court because their words were not to be trusted. Men were taught not to talk to women a lot, and often men wouldn't even talk to their own wives. And it was taught that, that even the spit of a Samaritan woman was unclean. Last cultural consideration before we dive back in is that women at this time were not able to divorce their husbands. Only the husband had the right to do so, and some believed they could divorce their wife for anything, even the little things like burning the bread. So being a woman was bad enough, but being a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who we know had been married five different times, even worse yet, Jesus had to go through Samaria. There was a reason. So let's pick back up in John chapter four. So Jesus is leaving Judea down in the southern region of Judah, and he has to go back north to Galilee, the quickest route being through Samaria. He's tired. He takes a break at noontime at Jacob's well. He sees the woman coming to the well, and he says to her in verse 6, please give me a drink. And in verse 9, the woman was surprised. Of course she was because she's a woman. She's a Samaritan woman at that. So they began to have this conversation surrounding water, and she's obviously curious as to what is this living water. So we pick up in 13 and 14, and Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water in Jacob's well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I have to come here to draw water. Looking at this, 
knowing that we were created to worship, there is something placed in us, there was something placed in her. There was a longing and a knowing that there is more, and there is. The first thing that, I, that we need to know about being uh, made to worship is that our worship is relational. Let me say that again. Our worship is relational. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with him. He is the one that is doing the doing. He is the one that approached her, and he's the one that approaches you and I, inviting us to drink of this living water, this eternal life, by following him. We're going to continue reading in verses 16 through 18. He tells her to go ahead and get her husband. And she says she doesn't have one. He says, that's right, you've had five, and a man you're now living with isn't your husband. Remember what we know, women couldn't divorce men at this time, so this woman isn't a man-eater. She's a woman who has been left five times, leaving her open and vulnerable in the society. Jesus is not shaming her. He's calling out the source and the shame and pain that she feels. Why is he doing this? Because that's who he is. And that's what he's like. We were made to worship, and that means that Jesus is relational, and our worship is relational. But it's also transformational. I heard somebody, can somebody say amen? Our worship of Jesus, when, when we follow him, it will transform us. And we're about to see it happen in this woman's life. And many of us today can attest to the transformation that happens when we decide to worship Jesus and follow him. When he calls out the source of your pain, when he calls out the source of your shame, and he says, I see you, it's transforming. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. As we move on in that story, it seems like she's trying to change the subject here, but Jesus is like, nah, I'm not done transforming you yet. She's bringing up some theological differences here between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her. What's he do? He talks theology with her. Their conversation evolves or unfolds right along in the, in the scripture, right in front of us into one of my favorite topics as a worship pastor. Does anyone want to guess what that is? Who, worship, yeah. And here is where we move into why these verses changed my life. I'm sorry, I was kind of like Jonas. It's called this verse changed my life, but there's like four that I love here. So it says that Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
While a lot has been written over the years on what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth, I'll say this. This is where I could get in trouble. The point isn't where we worship. The point isn't if we worship over here or if we worship over here or style or the color of the carpet or the lights or the cameras. Here we go. Lord, forgive me. It's not about you. And it's not about me. The point is that we will worship. And that if we are true believers, we will worship him in spirit and in, and in truth. Because it is the correct response from us because of who God is. Just like we've heard over the last couple of weeks, we worship Jesus because of who he is and because of what he has done. It has nothing to do with you and it has nothing to do with me. Amen? Yeah. It's nothing to do with us. So uh, verse 25 and 26, it says this, the woman said to him, I know that, that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Did you catch that? Who is Jesus? He says, I am the Messiah. I am he. He's telling her he's God. He's the chosen one to come and to make all things right again, to undo the curse. And this is the first time in John's account that we see Jesus reveal his identity and he's telling this to an outcasted Samaritan woman. Worship is the correct response to a God who loves like this. Who shows such honor to someone such a lowly place in society. Can you imagine the honor and the love that this woman must have felt? So we know that our worship is relational. We know that our worship is transformational. And I also want you to know that our worship is missional. Look what happens next in verses 28 through 30. It says, so the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Then down to 39, listen to this. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Did you hear the significance in that? A woman whose testimony wasn't even valid at this time, who was to be considered unreliable, she goes, she tells her village about Jesus and because of her testimony, what happens? They believe. Many people came to Christ. Our worship will cause us to go and to share this great news. It's missional. Our worship will go because it is another correct response to who God is. So not only is it relational and transformational and missional, our worship 
is formational. It forms us. When we are worshiping him, it helps us form a right view of who he is compared to who we are. He is good. He is faithful. He is true. He is just. He is perfect. He is all loving. He is all all knowing. He is all powerful. And he is always near. And we are not. He is so worthy of our worship. Worship with our songs. He is so worthy of our worship. Worship with our words, our actions. And he is worthy of of our worship with our lives in its entirety. The woman at the well met Jesus and she learned firsthand that worship is relational, it's transformational, it's missional, and it's formational. And many of you today, you know that also. If I were to summarize the, the applicable lessons that we have learned over the last couple of weeks, I could wrap them up into this short clip from Pastor Alistair Begg and I want to take just a few moments and have you guys turn your attention to the screens and watch this clip. I'm a media guy, so naturally you're going to get a video today. So uh, if you guys would, let's, let's watch this. Not this. There we go. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, We've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him. How did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You'd never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, 
I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Amen. Did, did you hear it? Did you hear the message in that? We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day, because without it, our pride takes over. And from there, we, we worship God because of what he has done, because of the cross, because of who he is. He quotes the, the lyrics of a song here, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. It's nothing that I have done. There is no good in Luke. There is no good in you. We worship because it's the correct response for what he has done. Some of you here today you haven't encountered Jesus. You can't truly worship him because you don't know him. Please understand me that it is, it is possible to have an emotional experience and still not know who he is. Others here today do know who he is, but their worship is hindered. Their Monday through Saturday lifestyle doesn't prepare them for our Sunday gatherings. Would you let your lifestyle become one of worship? Would you let your worship be relational, affecting not only your relationship with God, but also those around you? Let it be transformational. Let it take you from where you were or where you are now to where God wants you to be. Let it be so missional that you can't help but tell others of what he has done. And let it form you into the one that God has called you to be. As the worship team comes up, I want to make it so very clear today that we are all sinners and that we fall short of the glory of God. But God made a way for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. 
If we believe this in our hearts and we confess this with our mouths, then He is faithful to save you. Don't leave here today without knowing Jesus and why we worship Him. If you need Jesus Christ, there is no better time than now to receive Him. Or if, if you need to maybe even fall at this altar and confess that your worship of Him has become hindered, why not come today and lay that burden down? Why not rekindle that flame? Others today have been visiting for a little bit and you may be looking for a church home. Now's the time to join in with what God is doing here at Valley Creek. Whatever decision that you need to make today, follow God's will for your life and don't wait one more moment. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. God, you are so worthy of all of our worship. And today, God, I pray that we are aware of why we worship. God, that we allow your moving in our lives to take our worship to a place that it is everything as you have intended it to be. God, I pray that you're knocking on the doors of our hearts and that we drop our pride and answer. God, this invitation time is yours. Do with it as you will. It's in your precious and holy name I pray. Amen.